I'm JD the Media Jack and welcome to another edition of the Media Jack podcast, episode four. Today's interview, it started off in a very entertaining and strange way, at least for me. It started off with uh, someone I follow on TikTok. I've been following her for a while and she put out a challenge. Why haven't any of you asked me to be on a podcast? I hear it all the time. Like, oh, everybody has a podcast nowadays and I want to start my own. It sounds like a lot of work, but if... Like, why hasn't anybody asked me to be on a podcast? I'm interesting. I was in the military. I worked in mental health for a decade. I'm fucking crazy. I'm funny. I just started. I'm certainly not an expert, but I also do sex work. I'm fascinating, bitches. Put me on a podcast. Now, I honestly thought that I had asked her before and perhaps she was busy, but apparently I did not. So we're going to get into that and also the incredible story, the life story of Jen in just a moment. Once again, thanks again to everyone on Patreon, as well as this episode's executive producer, Red Wolf Don. If you want to help out, it just costs a couple of bucks a month, and you can search for The Media Jack on Patreon. As well, since it's clear that I have a TikTok, I'm all over social media, at The Media Jack, the easiest way to find everything, including the audio or video version of this podcast, if you want the alternative, is the mediajack.ca website. Now, without further ado, it's episode four with Jen. So I sincerely apologize. I totally thought I asked you before. <laughs> it's, it's no big deal. I'm just, I listen to podcasts like constantly. Like mm. if I'm driving or like around my house like doing tours doing pretty much anything like i'm always listening to podcasts and i was like i want to be on one damn it we'll start off with basically where were you born and what was your initial upbringing like um i mean i lived in new hampshire my whole life hence the new hampshire tattoo what was my upbringing like it was weird i had a special needs sister my brother and i both had like adhd my brother had way more learning disabilities than i did just our our upbringing was chaos um my dad traveled a lot for work and then my mom went to get her master's degree so there was often like even though both parents were in the house there was often like only one parent around it was just a lot of chaos all the time we grew up Kind, like medium poor um i say that and then there's often like a poverty olympics like it wasn't poverty we didn't need like any assistance or anything like that but you know generic brands shopping at salvation army stuff like that hand me we used to come home and have like hand-me-downs on the porch i always thought that like anything else that other people had it was because they had money like literally anything like fruit roll-ups i was like ah those rich people and their fruit roll-ups <laughs> like uh, but yeah, both my parents are educators. My mom's a librarian. My dad's an engineering, pro- or he was an engineering professor. So there was academics were always like really important in my house. Mm-hmm. When it comes to upbringing, you know, and like you, you look at like like other people, you look at their cars, you look at their clothing, you look at you know fruit roll ups in their in their lunches and stuff like that. As a child, you kind of think like oh, he must be rich. When in all honesty, like you have no idea, honestly what it is that they're going through for all you know those fruit roll-ups that you saw could have been that one splurge that they had that month and that's it and they're living almost like borderline the same as you and you're not hungry you're not starving you're not you're not like going to work in tattered clothing but you're you're getting by 
Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The things that I thought meant that people were rich didn't make any sense. Like I, because we were Protestant, because we, I did grow up like in the church, but mm. I have no religious trauma. But I thought that all Catholic people were rich because there was next to my church, there was a Catholic church that had a private school attached to it. And so I was like, private school, Catholic, Catholic pe- people are wealthy. Like it didn't <laughs> make any sense. It was just in my mind. Mm. But then I also had friends who like, yeah, they always got their clothes at the mall, but sometimes I'd go to their house and they'd be like, oh, we can't hang out here. My electricity got turned off. So, I mean, my parents were very careful about living living within their means, but that just means we didn't have a whole bunch of stuff, but we always had what we needed. Yeah. That was the, that's always the important part, you know, and that's mm-hmm. something that I look back on, even on my own family and my own parents and look back and see that. You know, there were times where we were probably struggling more than I'll ever conceive, I'll ever mm-hmm. realize. But there was always food in the fridge and a roof over our head. And there was always like we always had something to do on the weekend. It cost nothing to go to the park. So, you know, poor, rich, doesn't matter. I was still, you know, just a, an oblivious, happy child. Yeah, my mom worked at a children's museum when I was little, nice. which was so cool to just like live in a children's museum pretty much <laughs> up until i started going to school i was just always at a children's museum like that's a really cool way to grow up mm-hmm. now you said that you were diagnosed with adhd and your siblings as well and one of your siblings had actually more uh working against them how was that diagnosed and were you aware of what that meant when you were told this so i think i was initially diagnosed when i was like maybe seven, Mm. I think, which is really, it's really interesting now to watch. I mean, now there's such a large conversation about like ADHD, autism, all of that type of thing. Like now it's, I mean, some people are borderline proud, but it's just, everyone's like, yeah, this is a thing that I have. I did know that it made me very distractible. I knew that it affected my mood because I was, one of the things that's co-occurring with um, ADHD is it especially in children, it can lead to outbursts um, and like anger. And so I knew that it affected it in that way. I didn't really know the specifics, Mm. but um, I think I started medication fourth or fifth grade, something like that. So I knew that like I had to take a pill in order to go to school. Um, And then in middle school, I would start talking about it. And people were like, that's weird. Because at that time, you know, in the late 90s, nobody, well, middle school was the early 2000s um nobody was talking about it and it was so hard for girls to get diagnosed with adhd really so i was oh yeah up until recently it's been a lot harder because it, it presents a lot differently um a lot of times it's more of the instead of the hyperactivity it's more of inattentive hmm. um so instead of it being the hyperactivity presentation it's a lot more inattentive so they just say you know she's a space shot but she's not running around, so she must not have ADHD. And I was definitely more of like the inattentive type of thing. Okay. Um, so it was a, it's a lot harder. Well, it was a lot less common when I got diagnosed for girls to get diagnosed. So I, when I was diagnosed, I was like bizarre for it. It was, it made me stand out. It made, I got bullied for a lot of stuff, but that was part of it, which, it's interesting because now I watch the kids who are like in middle school and high school and they're able to get these diagnoses so much easier. And it's not like, 
a big deal mm. and i'm so happy for them but at the same time i'm like i don't want to do why couldn't it have been that easy for me <laughs> right like i look at a lot of the reasons that like i was kind of like teased growing up and now all that shit is cool like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's kind of the thing for anything when we were younger you know like like this like i'm wearing a reverse flash zoom t-shirt if i were to wear something like this when i was back in high school i would have got picked on mercilessly now this is the cool thing you know like you know completely different from like being diagnosed with something but still it's just it's those things that you look back and go like i got i got hammered hardcore because of that now it's the coolest thing ever yeah i feel like especially with like because i've never been into anime but i feel like it's way more acceptable now to be into anime because like when I was younger, it was like, those were like the weird kids. Like, don't talk to them. They like anime. Mm. And now it's like widely accepted for people to be into anime. Like, <laughs> that's great. Good for you guys. I'm not into it, but that's awesome. Yeah, you get picked on if you don't know who Naruto is. <laughs> yeah, don't don't pick on me for not knowing anything about anime because I know nothing. Oh, I'm behind the ball on this one, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm barely catching up. So were you uh, athletic or... Were you a scholar in high school? No. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. No. Um, I'm already. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, I am not. I'm so uncoordinated. It is laughable how uncoordinated I am, which is I. I recently found out that probably part of that is because I do have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which I don't. I think I pronounced that incorrectly, but it doesn't matter. But I'm laughably uncoordinated i was in the marching band in high school mm. i was in like the color guard which is like dance and stuff but that's more muscle memory than like actually needing to be coordinated right i also wasn't an academic i almost failed out of high school i was like this is boring as hell i'm not gonna go so especially after my mom moved out because my mom moved out when i was 16 mm. And then it was just like me and my dad. And he was like, I don't know what to do with here. There's like a 16 year old in my house. So what do I do with you? You're a girl. Ah. Um, Were you always here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was doing his best, but he also just like was kind of just in his own little world. Um, so I would just be like, yeah, school's boring. I'm tired. I'm not going to go. Um, I never, I would be up until, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock reading books in my room. Right. But not if those books had anything to do with school. I never did my homework. I never, I hated school. So I almost failed out of high school. Interesting. So you were into literature, just not the recommended reading. Yes. Ah, so what yeah. did you read then? Oh, God. I don't remember what I read in high school. I mean, it was, a, it's, that's even a hard question for me to answer now. <laughs> really? Because it's not, I'm not into like, I don't know what genres I'm into. It's mostly like just novels and I'm reading Well, I was reading the parable of the sour. It's gone now. I was reading it yesterday and I can't find it, which is so <laughs> typical of me. What was um, it, what's the parable of the sour? It's a just, it was written in the, I think 99 and it's like a dystopian thing. It's kind of set like now and like the next coming years and with all dystopian stuff, since it's, it's kind of like looking at where we're projected that we might be going. Like there are some things that are very similar, but it's about without getting like too in depth. It's about mm. a black family. They have like a, the dad is a pastor. So it does go into like a little bit of religion and the, the author 
you know, the narrator is the daughter of the family and she kind of talks about her wanting to protect her family in this dystopian society and also her relationship with God. And I'm, I'm not religious at all, but it's just, it's, it's a beautiful book. Mm. If I can find it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> Trust That's me. why I don't finish most of my books because I put them down somewhere. I was reading it at a restaurant last night and now it's gone. I even called the restaurant and I was like, hey, is that there? And the guy was like, no. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, if you, if you happen to find it, don't turn the pages. I don't want to yeah. lose my spot. <laughs> so, all right. High school, not athletic, barely academic, into reading, but only on your own terms. How did that gen turn into military gen? Oh, that's a bizarre one. Mm. Um, So I actually joined the military after I graduated college. Oh. Yeah. So after high school, I was not getting into college. Like that wasn't even an option for me. Right. So my mom found this thing called City Year, which is through AmeriCorps. And it was very like white savior like a bunch of middle class white kids are going to go into the inner city and save the children which looking back on it i'm like oh that is very cringe but in 2006 i was like i'm saving the world (laughs) so i moved to philly for a year okay and i worked in center city philadelphia which is not I mean, it was, I worked at a really nice school. Like it was a charter school. I worked at a really nice school. So I don't know that school only had the contract for one year. And I think they were like, we don't need these people here. So everybody else is like, oh, my students are all struggling so much. And I was like, yeah, my students are doing great. Um, I'm I'm just kind of hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic. They get so much support. But yeah, I was the curriculum coordinator. Okay. Uh, for our after school program at 18 years old. Then I decided I wanted to apply for to go to college and I decided I was going to do it as a surprise, which I would not recommend. <laughs> funding is a thing. Yeah. And my parents kept asking me like, what are you going to do next year? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll stay here another year. And they're like, but you hate it. And I'm like, yeah, weird, right? <laughs> um, so I applied to college completely by myself mm. and I had contacted a few schools and the school that I ended up going to was the only place I applied. And I said, listen, this is what I'm doing. And the college said, okay, service is really important to us. So if you just put together a little portfolio of what you've done while you've been there, we'll review it. And we'll use that like as, instead of like going to community college and submitting your transcripts, like just show us what you're doing. Right. So I put together like a, portfolio of a month worth of curriculum and I submitted it in like December and they got back to me they're like this is so impressive for what you've been doing for the past three months and I was like no no that is one month of my curriculum and they were like oh shit you're accepted oh Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay yeah so I went to school psychology graduated um and when I around when I was going to graduate I was thinking about joining the navy And then they wanted me to just like leave school. I had one semester left and they were like, oh, just go to boot camp and then come back and you can be in the reserves in school. And I was like, I have one semester left. Kind of forgot about it. But I really wanted to work. What my ultimate goal was, which is no longer my goal, is that I wanted to work with veterans who were experiencing some sort of struggle with substance abuse and as now that i'm currently a veteran it is very hard to gain the trust of 
somebody who's a veteran if you are not one. And so I was like, mm, they're not gonna, especially I look so young and I have this kind of like mean but bubbly personality. But I was like, they're not gonna let me into the club if I'm not one of them. So I'll just become one of them. Mm. I also <laughs> met my ex-husband uh, we were working together at a psych hospital. He was security and I was a mental health worker. And so when we started dating, he's like, oh, I'm in the process of joining the National Guard. And I was like, well, you're not going to be the biggest badass in the family. So I was like, join the Navy. <laughs> like that was It was those two things. I was like, I want to be part of this club. And I can't let my future husband, now ex-husband, one-up me. So I'm going to do it too. And I did. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Holy yeah, smokes. that is quite the bumpy road. Everything I've ever done has just been like completely like, I'm I think I'm going to try and do this thing. And then I just kind of like, give it a go. See how it turns out. You know what? What's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to go to boot camp and not make it through. Oh, no, I'll get sent home. Like, <laughs> I might have lost a few pounds and maybe sweat a bit. And oh, well, yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, you you were working in a mental health institute. So it was a, I was working at a psych hospital. I was working. So I got hired part-time mm. on the detox unit because I do have, I have a degree in psychology, but I also have an associate's degree in chemical dependency. I got them at the same time. Um, and so I started working part-time at, on the detox, but then because they were so understaffed and I needed to work more than part-time, I started just picking up shifts on all the different units. So not only did I get to work in chemical dependency, which is, you know, something I still care very deeply about, mm -hmm. but I was also able to kind of experience what it's like to work with people who experience like SPMI, which is severe and persistent mental illness. So that's stuff like bipolar disorder. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I was one of them and I didn't know. Um, <laughs> Walker, my um, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, all of that type of stuff. And it was fascinating. Mm. How is it that you find this fascinating though? I think it's, you know, there's such a, and it's getting better now, but there's such an idea of like what, quote unquote, those people are like, mm. and I'm saying across the board. So working with people who experience addiction, working with people who have, you know, suicidality, mm. SPMI, all of those things, there's such an idea of what, what those people are like, mm. and then being able to really interact with people one-to-one -one and seeing them not as their diagnoses, but as the individual mm -hmm. was a so eye-opening and b just like fun it was it's fun you know to see people beyond the stereotype of who they are does that make sense no 100 percent. yeah this is actually yeah. something i was kind of hoping you would lead into because uh people who suffer from a mental illness or an addiction or even uh are, are leaning towards or have attempted at one point in time suicide uh like the the ripple effect around them is massive and it's impactful and to be able to sit down and actually have a one-on-one -on -one and not poke and prod but get to know that person their background their 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 mental road is and just kind of venture down it with them like it is it is 
the epitome of an unexplored universe because the way I see something, the way you see something, the way someone else sees something is completely different. And so someone who is trying to live day by day, moment by moment, while dealing with something as heavy as any one of those things is, uh, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, an adventure unto itself because it is completely different from a day-to-day, quote-unquote, normal life that anyone else would live. So I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. I mean, especially so being that I was a mental health worker, I wasn't a therapist. So it would be inappropriate for me to constantly be talking to my clients like, so how are you getting through your day? I would just joke around with them, talk to, you know, that that was my job. It was not my job to treat them. It was my job to just get them through their day. So taking them to lunch, getting them anything they need, all of that stuff. I would run groups, Mm. but which is probably doing a huge disservice to the clients, but I was, you know, the mental health workers at that point was all they had. And it was very like basic stuff, but I really wasn't dealing with their diagnoses in any way. I was just dealing with their person, not dealing with, but interacting with them as humans. It did, it was, I would say the most difficult thing about especially the detox is that people would leave. First of all, they were only there for, I think at the time opiate detox, the average stay was like four to five days. And then for alcohol, it was like seven-ish days. And then we would get them aftercare and they would just, I mean, this is just the detox. Right, okay. And opiate detox does take more than four to five days, but generally we would get them stabilized on Suboxone and then we would send them somewhere for aftercare. So that was just kind of like the medical part of it. Right. And people would leave and you would never see them again. And you don't know if it was a good result or a bad result. And that was always hard. But aside from that, it was great. The, they're just, it, it was just fun. My clients, I, I have left the mental health community. Like I never want to work in mental health now, but that is not because of the clientele. Mm. I have always loved my clients, even while dealing with compassion fatigue, which happens to every to everyone. Right. I've always, always really loved my clients, which is probably because I was relating to them more than I <laughs> realized. <laughs> Not there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Not- I also like to make self-destructive decisions. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to human life. Yeah. <laughs> the Navy. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? Um, I don't like to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't I don't want to run. I don't want to do those ruck marches. <laughs> and uh I mean, if you run long enough on a ship, you'll just fall off. So then it was either the Navy or the Air Force. And I had a bunch of friends who were in the military and they were like, they were like, ah, if you're in the Air Force, you're a nerd. And I was like, I've done enough nerdy shit in my life. I'm going to join the Navy. <laughs> it was more process of elimination than anything else. Right. But was it a positive experience, a negative experience? Did you take anything from it? Oh, it was the worst. It was the worst. <laughs> It was awful. I mean, yeah, I'm not built for the military. I'm not built to not question things. I'm not built to not, you know, logic my way through things. And, you know, the way, you know, in the military, they take like, this is the solution that makes sense. And then we're going to 
do the opposite, but then screw that up a little bit and then do the opposite of that and then throw that plan out and do something else entirely. Like the military just does not make any sense. And I was always like, oh my God, I just, and a lot of the things that they wanted us to do, I was just like, well, why do you want me to do that? And like, cause we want you to. So all those like optional things, like getting warfare devices, I was like, I'm not doing that. And like, but you should. Well, why? How's it going to help me? Because you should. Because you should. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't miss it either. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, I mean, I was, so I was a reservist and I was a master at arms, which is essentially military police for the Navy. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of people who were police officers on the outside. And there was a lot of anti-female stuff. There was a lot of racist stuff that they would be saying either behind my back or in front of me. I was on my second deployment. I was deployed when um, the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing was happening. And I heard people say absolutely heinous things about women. And meanwhile, every single woman I know in the military has either been sexually assaulted at a minimum sexually harassed and like multiple times a day. And you can't report that shit unless you have cold, hard proof. You can't report it. And even if you do, you're going to get called a liar. It doesn't, it, it was the way that, don't get me wrong. Hmm. Some of the people that I love the most, I met in the military. Absolutely. But also I had some really shitty experiences and I actually think in comparison to like other traumas, if you just look at the actual incident, it pales in comparison, but then the people that you're with in the military, you work with them, you are social with them, you eat in the same place as them. Like you just can't avoid them. So it's, it's a reoccurrence daily. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what was really difficult about it. One, one thing to deal with is that it doesn't matter where you go and uh, who you associate with, what company you're with or organization or anything like that, uh, there are always going to be problems because humans are just humans. You know, they're good, they're bad. There is a gray, giant gray area in between and some people are kind-hearted and some people are despicable and they're going to take advantage of whatever or whoever they can. What the major difference, difference is is pressure. When you're dealing with military, when you're dealing with uh, a, a company like I mean, in the military sense, a company where you are under extreme stress, close quarters, and the whole deal, things get ramped up real quick. And so, like, like I, I, I understand what you mean, and maybe others won't, but like I, I get it. And being someone who has worked in different industries across the board, there are too many similarities when it comes to trouble people bad actors and issues and stuff like that it it never it never goes away it's just how bad the pressure and the stress is that amplifies it you know yeah i mean in the navy it's everything's just too bad so sad sucks to suck so and i i did report harassment one time because i had the screenshots of the harassment um and that actually went fairly well but the more kind of intense things that i that i experienced i didn't have the proof of and if i had um even like a little like if i just had like a little thing that i could be like well look at this Mm. 
you might report something, say, this this person does a bad thing to me, and then I report it to these people, but this person's best friends with this person. And this person gets to decide things about my career. Yeah. It's so, it's so political. And so every single thing that you do has such a, the reaction to it is so much bigger than what it would be somewhere else. And it made me, I mean, people will say to me all the time, like, you just like go for people and like, you don't take any shit. And it's because once I got out of the Navy, I was like, what's going to happen? What are they going to do? Be mean to me? <laughs> like, it's not going to affect my career in any way. Yeah. I had a guy that I worked with, like, after I got out of the Navy, like, texted me something like thinking about you right now at like eight o'clock at night. And my reaction was just like, that's not something you say to a coworker. Because, and it was just so immediate for me because I was like, what's he going to do? Go to my boss and be like, hey, I texted her at eight o'clock at night that I was thinking about her. And she told me I was being inappropriate. And my boss was like, yeah, you are being inappropriate. But, Surprise. Yeah. In the Navy, that could they could do that. And they would be like, oh, she's such a bitch. And why would she say that? And you were just being nice. You were being polite. Like, and so different. Yeah. Not that I was ever like corporate, but working in the quote unquote real world, it's so much easier to deal with that shit. Cause it's like, even if you don't report it, you can definitely take care of it. Oh yeah, 100%. No, you're absolutely right, yeah. So let's let's transition to something, a a different- Happier. (laughs) World, a different different avenue, a different adventure. You made the life-changing decision to download TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> look look at the instant regret right there. <laughs> Come on. No, it's fun. I mean, it really is fun. I mean, actually when I first downloaded TikTok before I started making videos, right. I started watching these videos and I was like, I can do this. Really? I bet I will be successful on this app because it's very quippy. At the time the the videos were only a minute long max right. and now they're three minutes long, like I knew they're 10 minutes long now. Oh God, no, I will never. (laughs) I can't. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I I just started saying dumb shit into my phone. And Mm. a lot of it was just like, I live alone. I've lived alone for five years now. And there are some times that I watch something and I'm like, I need to have a reaction to this in the moment. And Maverick doesn't speak English. (laughs) (laughs) And even if he did, I don't think he would care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And so I just started screaming that uh, those opinions out into the universe. And sometimes they would catch on. And I, you know, I don't have it's it's very weird because I have (laughs) friends with really large accounts. Right. Um, So for me, 40,000 followers is like nothing. In my mind, I'm like, everybody has that. Duh. But I'll speak for not, yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's very much not the case. And then I hang out with, like, people in the real world. And my freaking sister-in-law loves to tell people, oh, she's internet famous. I'm like, can you shut the fuck up? <laughs> like, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's now I'm doing this. And mm. I really, my favorite part about it is definitely, like, the interaction with people that I have. If I 
if it was just like making videos, posting them and nobody ever responded to them, I would stop doing it. That's not fun for me. Right. I like that I can bounce ideas off of people and like put a video out and be like, hey, what do we think about this? And sometimes people will tell me that I'm wrong about things. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely wrong about things. Mm. I also think that, I mean, there is so much stuff. This is outside of my channel. I have learned so much stuff on TikTok where, yeah, it's only a little snippet, but it's enough that I can go and do my own research Yeah, and I can, I can form, I have a jumping off point, which I think for a lot of time we did not have jumping off points for like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So that's, that's my favorite part about, yeah. you know, being on the app. So downloaded TikTok, started just watching some videos and thinking to yourself, you know what? I can do this. When was the first time you realized, like, I think I actually have a handle on this? There was the first time I kind of actually no. The first video that I had that like got any attention was one making fun of Chris D'Elia. Oh yeah. Do you remember, do you, do you oh, remember that? Wow, was that a bombshell? Holy Christ. <laughs> oh yes. my god. No, it was the um what was the the oh no 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 yeah. audio? Yeah. And he made a video making fun of it. And I was like, oh, oh <laughs> interesting. And that video only got like five thousand likes. But at the time when I had like not even a thousand followers, mm. I was like, I thought I was hot shit. Um still you know, I didn't think that I was like any big person or anything. I think when I when I hit 10,000, I was like, this is it. This is it. I'm huge now. And then nothing changed. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and still, like the videos that I've made that like have the most viewers are, are always something that I just like shout, shouted out into my phone. And then it like took off. And I was like, really? That shit? Like, okay. Well, I mean, it's it's clearly a credit to your natural personality and ability to just sometimes just, you know, say the inside parts out loud that other people are thinking, you know? I have always done that. It used to get me in trouble. <laughs> well, now it gets you attention. <laughs> now, yeah. And I do love the attention. <laughs> with, with that, I mean, we, we all, like you and I are both on social media. Um, you're a lot more predominant than I am. There is the attention out there that sometimes just comes out of nowhere. And I'm dealing with your recently you posted a couple of videos where you just you sat down one to one, a heart to heart, you to the camera going like, please just fucking explain how how do you prefer to deal with people who are just trying to egg you on or trying to get a negative reaction out of you? I mean, it, it depends on the person. There are some people that are saying stuff that's so stupid that I'll just be like, hey, that's dumb. The thing you're saying is dumb. <laughs> like, I know, especially, so I was talking about homelessness in my town mm. and people will try and argue with me about that. I'm like, I know so much more about this than you do. Yeah. I don't need to take you seriously because you're not coming from a place of knowledge. If I, A, if it's just some person with no videos like no profile picture nothing and they're just saying shit to me like they're probably just being an asshole yeah and they're not putting themselves out i mean i think that for people who don't have content they may hear people say like if you don't have videos out there i'm not going to take you seriously it doesn't mean that you're not a functioning you know 
successful, intelligent human being, but everybody has an opinion about everything. Yeah. And if you're not putting yourself out there in the way that other people are, I'm not I'm I'm not gonna react to you because you don't know what it's like to have people coming for you. Weirdly enough, the thing that people got the most angry at me about was because I called a food container Tupperware and they were like, that's not Tupperware. That I did not take seriously. I was like, <laughs> really? Okay. Tupperware or whether or not it was Tupperware. Yeah. They, she was like, that's Gladware. Was, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tupperware is a multi-level marketing company. So I don't like, I'm not going to take you seriously. I don't care. Like if somebody is being harmful in what they're saying, mm. I will probably react differently. It's so case by case basis. I do think I've kind of pulled away from that especially now with like all the call out video videos and stuff. But for me, it has to be happening to me in order for me to call it out or react to it. Just because there's a lot of life experiences that I have not lived. And I don't think it's appropriate for me to call somebody out for something. That's a life experience that I haven't lived. Yeah. I, I just want to touch on the, the people who, yeah, you will say something rude or will like try to get get your goat when it comes to uh, whatever topic it may be. And then you look at their profile and they're like it's a generic photo and like a, 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 a default photo and there's nothing in their bio and there's nothing like that. So when I see something like that on my end or like perhaps their username is just like random numbers and letters and, and whatever, to me, it's the same as like I work in the radio industry. So if I messed up something on the radio, which I mean, I'm human, I, I've been in the industry for quite some time, but I still make mistakes. If someone on the street just came up to me and said, hey, you said something blah, 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 wrong. And I don't know them from Adam. I don't know them at all. I have no idea what their background is. I'm not going to pay attention a whole lot. But if someone who I know is in the industry says, hey, you kind of messed up. Like, okay, so I, there's a background there. They've taken the time to make themselves known. I recognize them, or at least I know something that they know about the industry. I will listen to them. When I look at a, a, a generic bio or there's nothing there and there's, there's no care, there's nothing there for me to see that they give a damn or they have any knowledge as to what they're talking about. So like I'm agreeing with the fact that if they don't take the time to fill out like blah, blah, blah from this area, truck driver, blah, then I'm not going to listen to you if you bring up an opinion about random thing. Yeah. And I mean, I've put so much of, of myself online. I've been I mean, I've talked about some of the most difficult things that have happened in my life on there. So if you I I always say like I want every single person who makes videos to at some point go viral because it's not as great as you think it is it's mostly just bizarre yeah like yeah. it's just it's just weird it's so it's so strange and then a lot of times you know when you post a new video and it starts being successful like i will i'll keep reading the comments but at some point there's not a unique comment to be made. It becomes an echo And at some chamber. point I will literally just go through and like when I'm scrolling through comments, I will, I might glance at them, but I barely even read those. Cause like everybody's saying the same thing yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. No, I get that. So speaking of putting yourself out there, 
online, you made a very, uh, dare I say, risky but rewarding transition on your online persona and your content. How did you jump from TikTok to OnlyFans? Yeah. <laughs> this is so funny. So, A. Yes. I have been in a lot of long distance relationships. So I got super good at like taking naked pictures of myself, which is a skill. It's, it is. It's a transferable <laughs> skill set. Okay. Um, yes. I've also had a lot of people that I've dated have been like, have you ever considered this? Because I, I mean, naturally, I, I am a person that naturally has a very high libido. I just put it at that. And I've always said, well, I work in mental health. Like, all it would take is one client to find out what I, like, that I have this thing on the side. And it would make work a living nightmare for me. It would right. be awful. I might get fired. I might lose my job. So then I wasn't, you know... Once I kind of knew that I'm never going back to the mental health field for a plethora of reasons, hmm. I continued to check in with myself and check in with myself and do some research. I never do anything. Well, no. I knew that this decision I couldn't go into like I do pretty much everything else. Right. A lot of things I'm just like, eh, let's see how it goes. But this, I knew that I needed to be ready. Anything I put out online, I need to know that people can make fun of me for it. They can say disparaging things. They can, whatever they put out, like I put out, I need to be ready for backlash against that. Right. So I waited and I waited and I continued to check in with myself and think about it and do research and consider it. And then when I was ready, I started my OnlyFans and I was expecting maybe 10 f subscribers on the first day. I got 70. Which, which is like, Awesome. <laughs> I know. I kept watching it go up and I was like, what the f <laughs> <laughs> Something wrong with this thing. <laughs> yeah. At my max, I think I was at like 450, I think. I'm now at about 350, which is expected. I know that. And I've done it before. Things I'll will taper off. Yeah, yeah. 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 You like see someone and you're like, I wonder what that person looks like naked. And you like click, like you subscribe and you're like, all right, now I know what they look like naked. Unsubscribe, which is fine. I mean, nobody ever owes me anything you know right. um but honestly it's it's so similar to my tiktok in a lot of ways aside from like i'm not wearing clothes um <laughs> right it's the engagement with my subscribers is wicked fun um people are so so respectful of me it's <laughs> the most common message that i get from people is I'm just going to say men because overwhelmingly my subscribers are men. I think I have like three women who are subscribed to me, which, hey, look at me. Right on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but men will message me and they'll be like, is everyone being respectful? Uh, is anyone being mean to you? Are they saying nasty <laughs> things? Are they sending you pictures of their dick? You let me know because that is not going to fly around here. Like it's it's so funny how I've like built up this persona of just like someone who like you are not going to violate my boundaries no matter where we are right. I may be a sex worker I may be doing sex work but you're not going to ask me for things that I don't explicitly offer you're not going to trick me into giving you something that I wouldn't otherwise give yeah. and I think I think that that has attracted 
the type of man who's attracted to a very like a strong assertive a woman with a strong personality and my my only fans I, I don't come off as like a porn star and listen that exists for a reason yes there does. is no judgment for me mm. from the girls who are like you know on all fours like me uh but my my personality is the same on my only fans as it is on my tiktok i just i think one of the appeals for my page especially is that i'm extremely authentic on there and i will just chat a most of the messages that i send back and forth my subscribers have nothing to do with sex it's just like hey how's it going i saw the little green bubble figured i would check in say hello how you doing it's great i mean it's it's probably more fun than my TikTok because A, I get to show off my boobs and I like my boobs. <laughs> I'm literally paid to get off, you know, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what a dream job. And then I can, I have so much control over it. Like right. I've only had to block one person and I think people know that they, they know that I'm not going to deal with any bullshit. So they're so lovely to me mm. it's the exact opposite of what i think everybody expects my response to me but people are so great on there awesome that's yeah. that's 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 the type of thing i i was i was hoping to hear because yeah you know it, it again like I, i'm flattering you but it's it's the honest truth like it's a tribute to yourself your personality as well as the energy that you put out there because you're getting it back like tenfold and you know no matter where you are on social media the people respond to you as they should you're going to get the occasional uh jack off or, or anything like that but the majority of the support and the reaction and and the attention you get is equal to what you put out there so congratulations yeah. thank you i um i had someone the other day say to me like your page is like everything you put out is great but i'm here for you as a person um and i can obviously like on only fans i can joke around and talk about things that i'm not able to on tiktok so i would get freaking blocked um, <laughs> and it's just so flattering that like how many people can say they have an only fans person uh following for their personality like not many <laughs> not many at all you're absolutely right yeah it it's it feels really good. But I also think that like, I always say I have like the highest self-confidence of like any human being. And I think you need to already have that in order to present that way. Gotcha. Awesome. Cause no, you, the thing about self-confidence is it's, it's myself. Nobody can take it away from me. Yep. So there's nothing somebody can say to me that I'm gonna be like, oh, maybe I do suck. Maybe I am a dumb bitch. Like, no, I'm fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for Jen? What's next for the energy that you put out there? I'm starting to become a fully functioning person again. Hey. Um, I've talked very openly and kind of alluded to it. I just got diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm. um, and started taking a mood stabilizer. And the difference has been night and day. I'm just trying to figure out what makes me happy and just engaging in a lot of my hobbies again. And I'm trying to get a serving job now just to get me out of the house. I don't, you know, I'm, just to be clear, it's not like I'm a, making 
a billion dollars or anything, but I can sustain my lifestyle off of my OnlyFans right now. But I do want to get out of the house now. I'm finding myself to be more sociable and wanting to interact with people in a way that I absolutely could not do even three months ago. So just kind of finding myself again is what I'm doing right now. And I don't know, like occupationally, like for my job, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but that's really not my concern right now. Well, I mean, that's a comfortable place to be in life, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's such a rare opportunity. It's so great. I feel very weird when I talk to like my friends with 40 hour a week jobs and I'm like, yeah, I can't relate. I don't, sorry about it. (laughs) I remember that. That was awful. (laughs) You should stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sell your butt. Uh, where do you recommend people find you online on social media? So my account is bourbon for my alpacas, which people don't realize it, but it's a reference to a country music song. I also have my quote unquote backup account, which is beer for my alpacas. And then on my, my only fans account is bourbon pack, which bourbon P A C and my um, name on there is Jen Vicogna. Awesome. Which is the genus of an alpaca. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time, Jan. And hey, you finally got it. I, you finally were a part of a podcast. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> thanks for your time. Thanks.